Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. And I'm Elizabeth Stark. And this is Storymakers Show. Now you want to say show again, huh? Uh, and we are delighted to be here with Jennifer Matson, a writer, editor, and journalist who writes the Wellness List column for Psychology Today and teaches writing workshops at NYU as well as around the country. She reports on news, women's issues, yoga, health, healthy living and mindfulness, books, art, and culture. She was awarded the Spring 2016 Writer-in-Residence at the Lemon Tree House Residency for Writers in Tuscany, Italy. Poor Jennifer. And is the recipient of the prestigious scholarship for nonfiction writers at the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown. Very curious about that. And was recently selected as a member of the San Francisco Writers Grotto. She's a former network news producer for CNN, CNN International, and National Public Radio, and spent over six years as a producer for CNN, where she was responsible for CNN's live daily newscasts and produced CNN's international coverage. And then, I mean, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we've got the 1996 U.S. presidential election in here, Budapest, Hungary, and Hong Kong as places that she's lived and reported from. And then just want to mention, as a big NPR fan, that she was a producer for the NPR show The Connection and an editor at NPR's Tell Me More. And you can find her writing and reporting in the Atlantic.com, Salon, USA Today, the Boston Globe, GlobalPost.com, Women's Review of Books, Ms. Magazine, the Women's Media Center, and Gopalu Center for Yoga and Health, where she's currently a contributing writer. And she has a column at PsychologyToday.com called The Wellness List. And... She co-authored 642 Things to Write About Me, and she's working on her next book. Which we will ask you about when we say, so what are you working on? <laughs> but not quite yet. Yeah. What are you working on? <laughs> oh, crap. This is the word. We have to maybe start with what we're working on. Anyway, we'll work on that. Apparently, we're working on the format of this <laughs> podcast, so that's what I'm working on. So, <laughs> and I am getting ready to hand my manuscript off to readers so I'm working on imagining what else I need to do to it before they get it Jennifer what are you working on now? Hi Hi. I'm embarrassed by that bio it just it went on and on and on so spectacular I can talk about some things that people will be interested in um what am I working on I'm I've been doing a lot of writing on deadline uh so lately, I've been doing a lot of traveling. I was—I just did a piece about Hillsburg, and I was just in Montreal, and I was just in Italy, and now I'm kind of settling down and doing some more writing. Um, the big thing I'm working on is I have two books, uh, and they're very beginning stages. One's a memoirish book about my dating life, uh, which I've been working on for a while, and I worked on last summer at the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown. And actually, I am going back there in August, so I have to finish up a couple, I guess, 10, 20 more pages uh, and submit it for that. So that's good. So I have another deadline coming up. (laughs) Deadlines are magical, aren't they? My life is like uh, one ongoing deadline. Um, and then I also have a nonfiction book. I was just asked, I write a lot about meditation and yoga and mindfulness. I'm really into that. 
in my life and also I write a lot about it and I teach it within a lot of the workshops, writing workshops I do. I kind of incorporate my writing practice as a meditation practice or yoga practice. I see practice as practice. So I get the connection between the two. I think they're very similar and I try and teach that for people who get stuck. So I have this, um, one of my classes is called Get Unstuck. start writing again and I'm going to be I I teach that at the San Francisco Writers Grotto I teach elements of it at NYU in my classes and I have uh, these retreats I do at Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health which is like this amazing place where you can meditate and do yoga eat organic food hang out and meditate by the lake it's one of those really special spiritual places and I've been doing that the last couple years and the next one's in January so I'll be doing that up there and I've been kind of thinking about that and writing about that a little bit. But the other book that's a long, the, that's like a long-winded way of saying, um, I just was asked to write a chapter about yoga and meditation for a book, uh, and I'm also working on kind of a nonfiction version of that myself. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about, say, what's your what's like your key tip for getting unstuck? Well, I I should get out my little tip sheet because I I actually, I I teach that sometimes. You know, it's a I was just thinking, you know, she runs a class on that. So we're like, can we get the thing that you ask people, you know? But you sound like we all need it. I mean, everybody needs it so much that even you get the one thing, you go get it again and again. Yeah, no, it's a good question. And and it's hard to give a really good answer um, in a sentence or two, but... One of the things I like to teach and I like to think about is this idea that getting stuck is normal and that when people write a lot, like I write every day, I've been writing as a journalist on deadline uh, for years, maybe 10, 20 years. And, and when you have to write, you just do it. You know, like if you're at CNN and you're sitting at your desk and uh, a bomb goes off. You don't have a lot of time to really finesse the words. It's like you have 30 seconds, write it up, send it off. The anchor's going to read what happened and give a little background. Um, but when you're writing, when I write um, as a writer, quote unquote, you kind of feel, and you don't have a deadline, uh, you kind of feel like it takes, it can take forever to get anything off out and onto the page and and a lot of times people think they're stuck but they just there's all these other things that are going on so i think the idea that people real writers don't get stuck but the rest of us do is 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 not true and i think one of the ideas is that getting stuck and getting unstuck is a process and that writing isn't um a linear thing you don't go from a to b you you write, you get all these ideas, you're really excited, it all comes out, then you get stuck, then nothing happens. Mm. Then you start thinking about things, and then you like it starts percolating, and then you're like, oh, I've got some ideas, and I want to write, and then you get stuck. And that, when people can understand that wave is normal, mm. then they don't get too caught up when they get quote unquote stuck. So that's one of the that's, that's like one of the kind of things I, I talk about a lot. And what I like to do is reframe. Mm a lot of these issues in a different way. So sometimes people will say they're stuck, you know, everyone's different. And in every class I'll, I'll say, you know, are you the kind of writer that, you know, has tons of ideas or are you the kind of writer who has no ideas? And, you know, half the class is always, 
uh, one or the other. So it really also depends on what kind of writer you are. But um, some people feel like they have tons of ideas um, and they can never stick to one of them. And some people feel like they have no ideas. And depending on which kind of writer you are, you get stuck in different ways. But I would say... Uh, for the person who feels like they've got all these ideas but can't really stick with one thing, I always try, and then eventually they get stuck because they can't really see one idea or one book through. I try and tell them to stick with one thing and really just go for it. Like, do not kind of the d- discipline of sticking with one thing. And it's always usually those people feel like, oh, this stinks so much, I don't want to finish it. And I don't want to turn it in because I don't like it as much. And they're kind of the perfectionists. The other half of the room is usually people who feel like they have no ideas. or and, and oftentimes what that is all about is they have, people usually have ideas, but they don't necessarily come at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday when you finally sit down. Creativity and inspiration is uh, comes at all sorts of times, and it often comes when you're at work, or you're about to go to bed at night, and you don't have a piece of paper around, or you're in the shower. I get most of my ideas when I'm in the shower or swimming, mm-hmm. um, and like or driving. You know, there's this one story that I tell in a lot of my classes, Julia Cameron who wrote The Artist's Way and is really, really great on a lot of these issues and uh, talks a lot about creative inspiration. Talks about a lot of famous people who have come to her and, and one of them is Steven Spielberg, very early on his career, uh, was getting inspired when he was driving on the highway. He was in LA, this is where he was inspired. So a lot of times we have these great ideas but we don't write them down. And so a lot of people who feel like they're stuck or don't have ideas, actually they have all these great ideas, but they're not writing them down. They're coming at inconvenient times. And creativity is incredibly inconvenient. And so what I try and teach people is an awareness practice, which you know comes back to the yoga and meditation. And that is to be aware of what's happening as it's happening, and that will help you get unstuck. So for people who feel like they don't have any ideas, nothing's happening, I really tell them to walk around with a little piece of paper, you know, like a little notebook. I have all these little notebooks. Uh, That's my thing. I have, I walk around with little notebooks. I have tons of spiral notebooks, the kind you had when you were a kid. They're like $1.99. They're everywhere. And I love writing by hand. Um, And so I try and teach people all these very practical tools that don't sound all that like brilliant or anything, like have a piece of paper next to your bed or Always write when you're in the car, you know, if you get a great idea, you know, if you're someone like that, have a recorder, start recording stuff, you know, like very practical stuff. And that's actually sometimes the key to getting unstuck. Not, you know, do you, are you a brilliant person, but do you have a pen and paper? Um, <laughs> so some it. of these things people kind of like in my class because I have this very practical kind of approach to things and then my other approach is like be really creative go for it even though you think this is the craziest idea just like absolutely go for it so I try and get people to uh in my classes to get out of their chair sit on the floor lay down go outside you know really break free of that if you're sitting on your computer like you would for work and you're trying to be your best creative self you're basically going to probably feel like you're at work so sometimes when I get stuck for me what works is I get off my computer I get away from the Facebook and the cute cat videos and (laughs) shopping apps and I get my 
$1.99 spiral notebook, which I picked up at the supermarket. And I sit on a couch and I write by hand. And I really, really like that. And I often do that at the beginning of an article too, because I'm going back and forth between writing longer pieces and, and, and a chapter for this book coming up and also deadline journalism. Um, so for me, getting writing by hand is really, really helpful. And I try and uh, make all my students do that in all my workshops because there's a different way of thinking when you're writing by hand. And it's much more freeing, I find, at, especially at the beginning when I'm really not sure what's going on or I feel a little stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was just wondering, I um, have been listening recently to the inner game of tennis and I've also been doing, uh, I have a history of trying to use mindfulness to control my emotions. And um, one thing that is really common in both of those things is, is looking at things and not placing judgment on them mm-hmm. as part of the mindfulness practice. And I think what what I was thinking about a lot with writing is how uncomfortable it is to sit with that place that tells you what you're writing is terrible and yeah. that the mindfulness practice offers you an opportunity only to, to notice that you had a thought, not whether it was a good thought or whether it was a bad thought, whether, you know, or that you're writing. And that's just what you're doing. It's not whether it's good or whether it's bad. It just is. And uh, I think yeah. that that's, it's called, that's called naming. You're mm-hmm. like, when you're sitting on a meditation cushion and something comes up and you're like, oh, that's fear. Um, and lately I've been doing that politically because <laughs> I was watching the RNC and I, and I was, and I was like, that emotion is fear. I was, mm-hmm. and I thought that was kind of funny. I kind of laughed at myself. <laughs> um, so I can, yeah, so that's called naming where, where an emotion comes up and, and it gets confused, kind of like a spider web or when things get tangled up, like when you get to have a string or, or a necklace and it's all tangled up mindfulness or present moment meditation allows you if you practice it that you can name something so yeah fear or uh judgment but i will say that it's uh no matter who you are uh i mean i think even if you are Thich Nhat Hanh <laughs> um, or uh, 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 like the Dalai Lama you are if you are writing it is very very hard not to be judgmental mm-hmm. so even if you can say oh i'm being judgmental i mean it is writing is tough and when you are writing when i should use uh, i statements so when i'm writing even though i know a bit about mindfulness i'm pretty judgmental when I feel like it's not going well. And the thing about getting stuck is some days it's going great. Like yesterday, I wrote this piece from start to finish. Sometimes I'll write in bursts um, because I'm very deadline driven. So I gave myself a deadline of yesterday so I could work on something else today. And it was great. I was like, wow, this sounds great. This is terrific. But there's a lot of times when it does not. (laughs) Right. And so I think even the most judgment, the, even the most mindful of us are probably, as writers, pretty judgmental. And I think that's just part of the territory. I think what's really great um, in terms of mindfulness is to realize that if you write a lot and you sit down a lot and write, that you'll realize some days are good and some days are bad, and it's very much like the weather. Yesterday I sat down, I had a great day, it was very sunny. I had a sunny writing day. Today I've been kind of running around and uh, I haven't gotten any writing done, even though I have a lot to do today. So each day is different. Um, 
And that, I think, to me, is one of the best lessons of mindfulness when it comes to getting unstuck. Hmm. I want to, there's so many directions I want to go with this, but um, but I want to be, make sure to ask you about the actual practical side of having a freelance career, because I'm sure. working with a number of people who are um, mm-hmm. really trying to launch that and, and, and doing pitches. Oh. And, and you've probably gotten it a little bit from both ends in some of your work, maybe, I don't know, but... So um, I used to be a full-time staffer, so I can talk both as being someone who gets pitched at a lot of times, uh, mostly at NPR, at CNN, I wasn't getting pitched because I was pretty much just doing the news and reacting to the news. But um, as a as a managing editor at Asia Society, uh, I got pitched, um, and as a staffer at some other places, I got pitched. And now as a freelancer, I'm doing the pitching. Mm-hmm. So I know both sides of it. It is very, very, very ego. It, it's an ego buzzkill. Being a freelancer <laughs> is hard. It's really hard. I recently pitched a story. So I recently wrote the story about Joan Didion. I love Joan Didion. I teach jo- Joan Didion, and I, I teach personal essay as well at NYU and some other places. And I love Joan Didion, and I, I really wanted to write this story about kind of my relationship with her. So I pitched it to this editor at a pretty well-known magazine, and we had, and then uh, we did a talk together. So you know, we're, we're friends. I know her. Uh, I pitched it to her. She said, great, send it to me. I finally wrote it about six months to a year later. I pitched it to her, nothing. I was like, that's weird. That's so weird because, like, (laughs) you know, I mean, she knows who I am. So I pitched it to her again. I was like, hey, here's the story again that we talked about. Nothing. Mm. Finally, I picked up the phone, which I usually would never do. And I was just like, hey, I just want to say hi. It was great having this panel with you. I just want to tell you, you know, I sent you this story. just want to see if you're still interested. Nothing. Mm. That's what it's like to be a freelancer. (laughs) Uh, And that was it. So everybody everybody ghosts you. Yeah. So we live in a society. We live in a, a unique psychological moment where people be, do not return emails and uh, mm-hmm. phone calls mm-hmm. and sometimes don't answer the phone even though they see it's ringing <laughs> uh, and that's it's called like you said ghosting and it's really I personally don't do that um, I think as a journalist I respond pretty quickly usually to things within hours usually of all my emails coming in because that's kind of how I was trained I did a lot of breaking news for a long time and I think most journalists are pretty quick especially if they work in daily 24-hour breaking news but even if you're not a journalist if you're in the field of communications I feel like it's important to communicate it, yeah I feel like it's important <laughs> to return emails even if the answer is no like um yeah. And so I think, unfortunately, what that means as a freelance journalist is a lot of times you're not going to hear anything. Um, and I think it's gotten a lot worse. And part of the reason that it's gotten worse is one, uh, people are getting inundated with 500 yeah. emails a day. So that's partially if you want to see it from the editor's point of view. From the freelancer's point of view, they just wrote this whole thing and they are waiting for a response. Sometimes people check their emails, you know, if they're really excited about an assignment. 
and they're just hearing absolutely nothing. So I think in terms of being a freelancer, there's a lot of different things that are going on right now. But one of those things is it's there, it, it, it's um, it's I think psychologically it's tough. It's tough on the ego. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's hard because writing's hard anyway, and writing's a pretty personal thing to begin with. So if you kind of pour your heart out, and then no one responds to your email, it's kind of like, oh. <laughs> well, that sort of begs another question in terms of, uh, you know, as a writer, and you're wanting to pitch to more than one person. Mm-hmm. You know, how does that ghosting impact the way that you approach people? Well, I usually. I mean, I feel like if I know someone personally, uh, I feel like I try and know people or I've been writing long enough so that I've kind of met certain people either online or in person. So I kind of feel good about those emails instead of cold pitches, which are just, hey, I don't know you at all, Um, Mm. which you have to do no matter who you were anyway. Um, But I think either way, it's tough, really, really tough. I'm not sure if I answered your question. Well, I guess what I mean is like, you know, you often, and I guess like pitching is a slightly different thing, but I was just wondering like, if someone's just not getting back to you, how long do you wait oh, before you pursue yeah. the oh. next pitch? Got it. Yeah. So this is one of those questions. So, um, in any class I teach, this is like one of the first questions. So is it, so the rule in journalism is you don't pitch simultaneously. Mm-hmm. which means you don't send one story to three different people and say, hey, this is just for you. And, and, the, and the reason is, is because there's this ethical component of journalism or writing, um, which is to say you don't want to ask someone out on a date, three separate people out on a date at the same place, because what if they all say yes? And so that's kind of the analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, if they all say yes, what are you then? Then what are you going to then say? Sorry, and please don't show up. Like you're, you're, you're <laughs> you know, you actually schedule them back to back. Angie's like, oh, I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's one piece, it's all. It's, yeah, it's, no, I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what I try to explain to people. Uh, who are in my classes or if I work one-on-one with someone, really that's the reason why. However, we have a situation which, uh, for the freelancer's point of view, what do you do when people then don't get back to you? Exactly. That is a uh, dilemma because you want to do the right thing, but maybe they're not necessarily doing the right thing here. Or this doesn't work. This equation doesn't really work out. And I say, yes, every freelancer has this dilemma. So, yes, that's exactly the thing. What do you do? And the answer is if you look at the submissions guidelines wherever you're uh, sending, a lot of literary journals say, hey, you can submit simultaneously. We accept simultaneous submissions. If they say yes, you say, great, no problem. If someone like the New York Times or the Atlantic or someone else says, we do not submit simultaneously um, and you just have to look up wherever you're pitching. You should really, really know the publication you're pitching. That's number one. But let's say you've done your homework and they say no simultaneous um, submissions, then your job is to write, wait two weeks. If it's, um, it, it depends on the medium you're pitching to so for if it's a story that's breaking 
and it's a really short deadline, you need an answer quickly, then you go back to them quickly, right? Mm -hmm. But if it's a magazine that works six months ahead and often says, we don't get back to people within a month or two, then don't bother them in two weeks. The best thing you can do is do your research and understand the process of the person on the other end. And then how many are you pitching, like how many different stories then are you pitching right. to kind of keep yourself going? Right. Me personally yeah. or the average you. Yeah. Well, let's say you. <laughs> the professional. I teach. So I have uh, what's what a lot of writers do, uh, which is I teach. Mm-hmm. So I have classes going on. I'm writing longer stuff like a book or chapters mm-hmm. for books or contributing like on that that long term and then I have different articles and then I have sometimes projects that are project based so a series of articles for something mm-hmm. uh, so I have this mix going um, and, and the generally the standard wisdom is if you are going to try and be a freelancer most people will tell you you need an anchor client you need one job that's kind of like no matter if the other stuff is coming in and out uh, you've got, you know, maybe an article this month or maybe another one. You have a basic anchor client that gives you enough money to pay rent. And so that is the advice most people say. And, and oftentimes, if you really look at writers, they're doing um, they're doing a little bit of juggling. They're doing some teaching. They're doing some editing. I edit people's books. A lot of people who are writing books uh who through my classes or something will say, hey, I'm working on this book. Uh, One woman up in Boston, uh, I edited her stuff for a while, and then another woman in in New York, I've been editing her book for about two years, Mm -hmm. and she'll send me a chapter every couple of months, and then we're at like 24 chapters. Mm -hmm. It's it's epic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We work together. You know, so, so most people are doing editing, their own writing, and then have some kind of anchor job mm-hmm. if that makes any sense like your wellness list column uh yeah or other stuff you know it changes over the last couple of years you know um it's it, it it's really each for each person it's going to be different for some people their anchor is teaching you know a lot of writers are have some kind of teaching jobs yeah which is pretty common so i teach actually <laughs> and one of the things and i and i teach these craft classes where i use examples from published work as um, prompts for writing exercises and so a big thing that comes up because and everybody works on their own content some people are doing nonfiction, some you know essays memoirs some people are doing novels short stories I mean it's a, there's a whole range and one of the things that really comes up is this whole sort of showing versus telling or like anchoring something to detail to story to an an instant a moment a place and you know though I understand there are like really exciting things about telling and all of that and I'm not disparaging it you know it it is important to kind of give put your readers into a world certainly in certainly in fiction um, or you know narrative but so how, how does that play off in more journalistic or you know personal essay form in your opinion. That's really interesting that you asked that. So I just did my grades for the summer for NYU. The class ended yesterday, I mm. think. And I just did all the final essays coming in. It was a personal essay class. Uh, and it was, you could, the whole class uh, is designed so you can write, I 
I open it up so people can write about what they want. So if they want to write about, pers- they want to do personal essay, they want to do narrative essay, I teach them how to do all of it. And then their final uh, piece is kind of based on what they want to do or op-ed, which is much more journalism based. Um, and most of the notes I gave to people uh, were <laughs> uh, show, don't tell. And I kept writing it and I kept kind of like joking around about it and all these um, notes and stuff and, and it just kept coming up and I think that that is one of a first draft impulse for almost every writer mm. which is here's this story I want to get it out I got to get this thing out and I'm going to and, and that process of the first draft draft is often about well this happened and then this happened and then this happened and this happened finally I got to the end phew <laughs> and I think that's okay like I think that um that's what writing is. What you write in your first draft needs to come all the way out. Um, one of the things I've been doing this past week or two is I signed up for an online class with Aaron Sorkin. You and everybody else. <laughs> so I'm, I've been each night before I go to bed, I, I turn on my computer and I and I sit with Aaron and just listen to him talk. Mm. And he has a lot of advice about writing. And it's, uh, I, I look at it as a way to write essay and nonfiction. And the fact that he's talking about screenwriting is interesting, but it's really the same rules. Writing is writing. And so I've been thinking a lot about it. Um, and he talks a lot about this as well. So I think the idea is first you do it. And then you go back and you rewrite. And and for him, he always says that the actual writing, he just writes from start to finish. He gets it all out. It's pretty junky stuff. And then he goes back and edits. And that's kind of how I am, too. Mm. So do you do any pre-planning, though? Do you you know what the end is when you're writing from beginning to end? No, I often don't. But, you know, it all depends on what the piece is. I often rewrite my ends. You know, I, I always tell people some people are really good at beginnings. Some people are really good at middles and some people are really good at endings. I often will rewrite my endings a number of times. What do you think you're looking for? Uh, some Something that is... Uh, people towards the end of things want to wrap it up so it sounds really great and there's just like epiphany and a lot of times in life and a lot of times in essay nothing necessarily great has happened Uh, and and people really want their essays to go out with a bang and that is usually not what happens in life and so for me to be authentic and to really tell a story that's true I kind of struggle with that and so I it's just my part of my process um, which is fine yeah, finding your way to the epiphany. Mm-hmm. Yeah, finding my way to a um, not necessarily epiphany, an ending that's authentic, and there's not a big car crash or a big someone fell in love or something big. People want really big things to happen, and oftentimes they just don't. Sometimes it's a very small little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is that small thing? And sometimes it takes a lot of thinking to get to the real truth of what this is really about. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's great. That's great. Um, can we talk, go, circle back a little bit to meditation and writing and the, the kind of similarities as a practice? I've been, uh, I realized sometime last year that, that guided meditation is so powerful to me. Or, you know, when somebody t- t- talks you through like a visioning thing, you know, yeah, you're walking down a staircase or whatever, right? Um, that I just vividly picture it. I mean, I think it's connected to writing fiction. 
Um, and um, and I got really interested in in meditative writing and also um, Robert Owen Butler's book From Where You Dream is amazing about kind of starting in your early morning kind of dream space and writing from there. Um, so I've, I've just become really intrigued with this whole topic. I'm looking forward to your book on it. <laughs> um, can you talk about how you use... Uh, I mean, you talked a little bit about it, but just, but how you see them fueling each other, or how you how you come into to writing as your meditative practice? Sure, I think that they go hand in hand, and if you have a mindfulness practice, eventually mindfulness is not just sitting on a cushion and then you get up and then you're not meditating. If you mm. I spent a lot of years at Kripalu and I, I live there. I quit my job at CNN and moved straight into Kripalu and made beds and, and helped out around there and really just dove in. And that's where I learned how to meditate. And that's how I learned the basics of asana and yoga. And that's how I really learned about spirituality and Buddhism. Mm. Um, and when I was there, a lot of um, the practice was on a cushion and you can learn how to meditate and that's where I first learned how to meditate but there was a real emphasis on meditation off the mat what they call off the mat so you can be writing but if you have a practice you understand how to stop when you get like really upset or anxious or stop when things are going off the rails um, and the way I incorporate that in my particular writing is when things are really not working, I now get up from it and walk away and take a walk. Mm. There's this long history of writers taking long walks. Mm -hmm. And many, many writers, very famous, but you don't have to be a famous writer to take a walk, um, <laughs> spend each of their each part of their day taking a long walk because there's a part of writing that is the actual sitting and writing and there's a part of writing that is in your head thinking about it so one of the things about writing is you can be meditating or thinking about your work without actually typing or writing mm -hmm. and that part of of the process is called writing writing is the doing and the non-doing which is kind of a basic mindfulness meditation idea so it's not it's kind of incorporating it into your practice in a way the other thing I would say about actually very specific sit on the mat meditation mm -hmm. I go like I do with writing I'll go through periods where I'm writing a lot and I'm not writing um or I'm teaching a lot so I don't or I'm traveling I've been traveling a lot mm -hmm. um, I was in Italy and was in all these places where I wasn't really writing, even though I was teaching writing. So that sometimes happens. And um, but when I'm not meditating, so I'm I'm in a period right now where I'm not sitting every morning and meditating. I'm a little off that. Mm -hmm. And when I'm in the process of sitting and meditating and waking up first thing, not looking at my email. <sighs> not responding to like a thousand things but like wake up have my morning coffee or sit on my cushion and have whatever you're drinking there's a very different mindset that goes into if you start writing it's very for me it's a very open free sit on the floor on my cushion with my spiral and just start writing yes so that actual practice the actual practice and the repetition of that gives you creativity by doing something over and over again it's called practice or it's called a container in um, meditation that 
repetition or practice will open up your writing in ways that are amazing. Obviously, it's very hard to always have a do meditation and then do yoga and then have your perfect writing practice and then eat, you know, organic sustainable food and then do this you know there's a lot of shoulds and there's a lot of things that actually are really good for us but it's a lot to get get everything going at the same time and sometimes those practices really fall by the wayside Mm -hmm. and that's okay and that's normal it's like getting stuck it's like getting stuck exactly (laughs) so when they're all working it really does work and when Mm -hmm. we fall off the wagon we get stuck it's okay, we get back on. Yeah. So I'm right now in the process of getting back onto the cushion and getting back into my yoga practice and kind of after traveling a lot and being away and kind of having this um, meditation stuckness or laps and stuff like that, I'm, I'm getting back to it. And, and it really does, it really, really does help. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, it is time for Steal This. Which is based on the uh, quote from T.S. Eliot that professional amateur amateur poets borrow, professional poets steal. And uh, you have your option if you know what you've come across this week that you would like to integrate into your own ness. You can start or we can model for you what that would look like. You guys start. Okay. You know, very rarely do people say, you know what, I'll jump in. <laughs> um, That's not true. Sometimes they're there. No, sometimes yeah. they're ready and they've got notes. And um, <laughs> We didn't give Jennifer a lot of warning. No, we sure there. didn't. Um, well, you know, we spoke about Aaron Sorkin, and I think I want to steal his dialogue. I want to just, you know, he's got such snappy, not entirely realistic, but purely enjoyable dialogue. So... I think I'm going to dig into some Aaron Sorkin stylistic. Yeah, coming up this week. Yeah. Um. (laughs) I'm I'm uncharacteristically at a loss because uh, we've been recording a lot of podcasts this week, and I've I've talked about Emily St. John Mantel's Station Eleven, which I Mm. which is completely amazing. Um, I talked about a review of Audrey and (laughs) Ray. <laughs> and um, oh, I know. Well, we 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 interviewed a documentary um, editor, and uh, for our last episode, and um, we, should, we were, and one of the things that I loved about watching the documentaries was the footage uh, th- that there would be. You know, f- the the footage and the voiceover are often. Um, not in a very overt or obvious relationship to each other because you don't want to do that, right? You don't want to have the, the sort of the picture showing what the words are already saying. And I think there is an equivalent in prose as well. I mean, I, I, I work with people a lot on this, like interweaving imagery and setting and those things carry a lot of meaning and emotion um, when they're integrated into um, the the dialogue and the, and the internals of the scene. So I just want to kind of, I just want to play more with those aspects based on what I saw from her things like that I could not can maybe like you're talking about stylistic dialogue Angie that I could bring in um other kinds of images beyond the literal world that's in front of everybody and um and just play with with the the juxtaposition of image and and scene and meaning more so that's going to be mine steal from Jean Kawahara (laughs) how about you Jennifer anything you've come across you want to take and make your own 
Well, one thing that I think a lot about, which I think is kind of brilliant, um, is this quote from E.L. Doctorow, and I, uh, I kind of want to be at the place where I'm at the end of the journey that he talks about. But he has this quote that's quite uh, that you probably heard a lot, and it's um, it's about what writing is like, and. Um, it, he says it better than I could, and hopefully one day I'll be able to say some something along these lines, and uh, it'll be on, you know, quotesaboutwriting.com. But anyway, <laughs> um, his quote is, writing is a lot like driving at night in the fog. You can only see as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole trip all the way home. And I, I really, really feel like writing's like that, mm-hmm. and... Uh, my goal is to somehow be able to get to the end of this book, both mm. of these books, and kind of have some insight into it. So hopefully you'll see something like that for me one of these days. I am so excited about both of these books. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, how, how, can we, how can our listeners find their way to your work and you, public you? <laughs> with a flashlight in the fog. Um, so, yeah, so I have a lot of my stuff over on my website, and it's uh, www. It's just my name. It's jennifersmatson.com. Great. Yeah, and it's I love your website. I thought it was thank really you. well laid out, and there's lots of wonderful stuff in there. So um, thank you so much for yes, talking with you. us, Jennifer. It was really it was wonderful. It's a pleasure. You guys are awesome. And this is Storymakers Show. You can find show notes and links to the things we've talked about today at storymakersshow.com. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and we would love it if you would go and rate us there so that other people can find the, the podcast. Are they like-minded? They can be like-minded or not like-minded. Those are those are my those are the choices. But send them our way. We want them all. Thank you. Thank you.